Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good afternoon. Warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is the call on this Friday afternoon. Ten stocks picked by you. Two expert guests in an hour. It's the 2nd of September just to date this episode. We have Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital here with me in studio and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Luke, welcome. We've had the chance to speak a couple times during reporting season, but now it's done and dusted mm. for real. Out of 1 to 10, what do you rate it? Uh, probably like a six or a seven. Ooh. I think last time you asked me, I said eight. Yeah. The problem is with reporting season, good news travels fast. So all, all the guys that have the good reports, they get them out early. And, you know, by the time you get to the back end of reporting season, it's the dregs that sort of you, you know what to expect. So um, progressively, you know, got more average mm. as we went. But um, on, on balance, I thought it was pretty good. I, I mean, I know a lot of the concerns people have um, they're legitimate around inter ooh, sorry, interest rates will, yep. will soon be coming into um, hit the consumer. Um, you know, the energy crisis you're seeing globally, impacts of supply chains, everyone's still commenting about the problems there. Um, but you didn't see them in the numbers. So I was, I was pretty happy with okay. the report as a whole. Good to know. Claude, is that bad news likely to come, say, next reporting season? I mean, if you had to rate it, did your companies in your portfolio let you down? Uh, actually, not not too many letdowns. I did have a couple, uh, including one. Yeah, look, there, there's always going to be some that disappoint. There was one that I sold out of. The share prices um, responded negatively on the day. Um, but yeah, the main holdings, you know, every, for example, ProMedica still at a sky high valuation to me, like in terms of the history of where companies have traded relative to earnings, a lot of these growth stocks, to, to my mind, are still quite elevated. Even after coming down, you know, another major holding of mine, for example, Objective Corp, that's another sky high um, software stock, that's come down from around a bit below $20 to about $15 now. That's a 30% drawdown. But I'd still say it's like quite expensive compared to historically uh, where these kind of companies tend to trade. So to my mind, I'm still, although I remain invested in the thematics that I care about and that I'm dedicated to and that have served me so well in a life-changing way, I am still prepared for this kind of thematic investing to, to take a bit of a hit. In, we're in into an inflationary environment. We haven't had that for a long time. We'll be un, you know, it's not like it's going to be fixed tomorrow. So overall, I remain um, with plenty of dry powder ready to... Um, potentially suffer a drawdown on my portfolio at, and deploy capital as that happens. And then um, I would think that things will improve in the long-term history of the world. So yep. I think that we'll be all right in the end. But right now, I would say things are looking uh, grim for the next year. Got it. All right, let's uh, flesh out some of those thematics, no doubt, with the companies on our list today. Audinate, Block, okay, two in the tech space. Acroform Work, DGL Group, and Hello World Travel. Our stock of the day is Dusk, one of those laggards from reporting season. Full year profits and revenues took a year-on-year -year hit. Blaming that tricky environment caused by lockdown, sales were down by close to 7%. That's despite 10 new stores opening. However, it says that fiscal 23 is off to a good start, with sales up over 33% in the first eight weeks. Still, though, too uncertain to give guidance going forward. Claude, I'll start with you. Stock of the day, Dusk. So interesting to hear from these retailers over reporting season because obviously they're leveraged to the consumer, obviously, and rates are rising, but most are saying that the uh, first few weeks of FY23 are looking pretty good. Sure, and that of course depends on what they're comparing to if the first few weeks of the last financial year may have been impacted by some kind of coronavirus scare reducing foot traffic, um, then you'd expect the, this year to be looking better now, you know, regardless of where we are in the macro. I think another thing is the consumer hasn't really started hurting yet 
in in a way that I think is likely in the next year. You know, gas prices in Europe have started to go up, but that's going to take a long time to mean that such a person decides not to buy a candle um, on a given day in Australia. Like, yeah, it actually probably could be connected in the end, but it doesn't happen immediately. So, uh, yeah, nothing really surprising in in the fact that there's some strong retail there. Um, In terms of Dusk specifically, I did actually think these results were quite good. Um, You know, a few things to note. Uh, The profit is higher than the free cash flow. So you have to consider that these guys do pay a fair bit in rental costs and they have other, you know, needs on their cash, which basically means they're they're not going to be able to pay out 100% of their net profit indefinitely. And so I would say their dividend's pretty maxed out where it is now. So actually full year, I think 20 cents dividend, putting it on a yield of over 8% if you're looking at that trailing yield. So the market's pricing this like, basically this current level of dividend and profitability is not sustainable. And look, indeed, profit was down. Um, Personally, I find this a really interesting story just because I see some potential that this could be actually quite a high quality retailer that does go the distance, but it's trading on quite a low, a low multiple. Um, so I do, I have owned Dusk previously. I don't currently own it. I think its share price got up to almost $4 at one point or around that level. And I sold out and it was also getting quite popular bizarrely in like Spanish investors were writing about it a lot, uh, which I thought was super strange and kind of a bit of a sign at the top really. And so uh, now, I just think it's a good one for your watch list. Personally, I'm not investing in any retailers at the moment. I just think that the pain's yet to be really felt there. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, amongst retailers, I think this is definitely one for your watch list. Got it. Thank you. Luke, what do you think about Dusk? Um, yeah, I just like Claude's butterfly effect there of the you know gas prices mm. spike in the UK so no one buys a candle in Australia. Um, I, I, I thought it was a really good result as well. Um, it was a, a very mixed um, reporting season for retailers. Um, the focus has been so heavily on inventory and cash conversion. Mm-hmm. As Claude points out, you know, Dusk has a little bit of that as well. Cash lags their, their reported profits a little bit, um, but they were nowhere near as bad as some of these other peers. Um, you know, someone like a Dares or, or a Breville, um, huge buildups of inventories has really hit them. Um, they, as Claude points out, the FY23 growth to date, take that with a grain of salt because you're cycling some COVID affected priors. But I'll give credit to management. They also gave the comparables against FY21 and 20 as well. So as investors, you're free to then, you know, um, move the numbers around as you wish. Um, I also think they have the right model to compete in retail. They've got the vertically integrated products. So they're not just reselling other brands. It's it's all dusk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's similar to LaVissa. You, you get this um, um, effect where the, the data you receive from your sales then feeds into the products you're creating and, and you know you have this quick feedback loop yeah. with your customers. Um, really good membership loyalty program, uh, building up their online. Claude's right, based on the yield and the earnings today, the market's expecting profits to go backwards. That probably happens, but, but I suspect not to the levels that people think. Um, I actually think this looks really interesting. I, I, I took a brief look at it, as Claude sort of said, when it had that, that spike um, a couple of years ago. Um, but back then I didn't quite understand what normal looked like for this business. I still don't think we're there, but we're getting closer. The balance sheet looks really healthy. Inventory held up well. Um, you know, like I said, I don't own it and, and I probably haven't looked at it too closely to tell people to, to jump in and buy mm-hmm. it today. But I thought this was, you know, LaVissa was the pick of the retailers. Yeah. This, is, this is, you know, right up there. It's, it's okay. probably just as, just as good as that sort of second, third tier. So we can't jump into it, but you'd put it on your watch list and wait for another result or confirmation? I think, I think so. I mean, the real thing you're waiting for is, like, like I said, what does normal look like for yeah. the business? It's really hard to know at the minute. Um, you know, we're getting closer to it. There's no doubt about that. And despite pulling backwards from that, you know, really strong um, FY21, um, you know, it was only six, seven percent. A gross mm-hmm. margins held up well. No blowout of inventory. I give full credit to management. Like, it, it's been a really tough environment to, to manage all these things, and they seem to have done a pretty good job. Okay. So, yeah, definitely on the watch list. And just to clarify, he said pick of the bunch was. LaVisa, not pig, right? Pick of the bunch. Pick of the bunch. Yeah, got it. Was, it. I mean, LaVisa's result was, yeah, unbelievable, to be honest. Good. All right. We don't have time to get into LaVisa. No, we'll skip Let's that. get onto the list of our companies nominated by you. 
our viewers. This one's for Shabir. It's Audinate Group. He said it reported well in his view, trading close to $10, seen it pull back though. He reckons it's a big opportunity for a long-term investor. Um, at what price would you start buying, Claude, if at all? Audinate. I don't think I'm ready. I'm sorry to like tell you exactly what price I would buy Audinate. Um, as it's not a profitable stock, it's not on my permanent list of fluffy dogs that I'd like to buy, which I always have a buy price for. Um, but what I do own shares in Audinate and I do like it. Uh, I just think that it's probably sufficiently outside my buy range for it at the moment that I don't need to hone it because I can tell you um, if it's, if it, like, let's just take this back a minute. So what Audinate does is it's audio networking. It has for a long time been in my portfolio because I've had this theory that the company has pricing power. It's building a sort of monopolistic position where all of the manufacturers that need to uh, build these sound systems need all the different bits to talk to each other. So hypothetically, one day in the future, everyone has to always have an Audinate chip in them. Arguably, you're already there now. That gives Audinate, hypothetically, the ability to just consistently bump up their margins year after year, just inching it up, pushing these people and taking more and more of the profit share that way over a really long period of time. And that's what makes it so interesting. And that's why, you know, I first bought shares and recommended this at like $2.90 or something like that. And it's always been what I'm interested in, but that doesn't mean that the valuation makes sense to me at every point in time. Right now, we have a company that um, is even more further along that path of having proved pricing power because after these results, in response to inflation, it put up the price of one of its products, the Brooklyn um, chip, by 25%. And the you know, management have outright said, yeah, we clearly have the ability to raise prices now. Now, in an inflationary environment, that doesn't help them so much because their cost inputs are going up as well. But I suspect long-term, you know, it means they'll be able to actually when the inflation does calm down, they're about to get more and more profitable quite easily. And so um, even at maturity, they're at 40 something million, 46 million or something revenue now, it's very easy for them probably to get to 100 million revenue because they're basically not trying to be profitable. They're just trying to run it, not lose too much money. They've said that they don't foresee the need to raise capital at this time. There's that's some of the mm -hmm. risks there. But you know, if they get to 100 million, 10% net profit margins for this kind of business would be quite feasible. Even then, though, it would be on 65 earnings in this sort of futuristic scenario I've painted here. So for me, it's still a bit expensive now. Um, certainly, I, I don't want to give a buy price, but you know that it wouldn't have to fall 50%, for example. By 50% okay. down from here, I'd probably already have bought some. Okay. So just one for the watch list at the moment. And um, you have to contextualize that with risk in your whole portfolio because this is not an unprofitable stock right now. Yeah, and this is information only. This is not financial advice. Luke, when, if you're game to do it, would you, you know, at what price would you look to buy out a name? Um, yeah, look, I don't have a specific price in mind, but the key from Shabir, who's wrote in, is, um, you know, a long-term investor because yeah. Claude's right. This is about what the business is building, not what you're buying today. If you look at it today, paying an insane multiple you could you could never justify it but Claude was spot on this is a business that is it's building a monopoly in that digital audio space and um, Claude sort of said 10% net margins uh, this is a business that could earn double or maybe triple that if they really really wanted to um, at some point in the future not you know not I'm not talking next year or two um, I think the one thing to keep in mind with this is they're also expanding into video as well. They made an acquisition of a business called Silex. It's still early days for that. Um, but from what I understand, that part of the business is, is not as dominant as the, as the audio. So the, the strategic appeal is you're then, you're packaging the AV together. So you use your dominant position and that's how you get your competitive edge. So strategically makes a lot of sense, but um, it's probably just a, a little bit of additional risk because as far as the audio concerns, it's just a matter of time before that monopoly just you know finds itself in place and, and, and the returns start flowing through to investors. Um, look, so for me, I, I can't give Shabir an exact price, but if you are a long-term investor, um, this is one where you probably just pick it up you know, bits and pieces, maybe like a, an average, on yeah, on down days, or just, you know, say to yourself, I'm going to buy a, a small parcel every three, six months or something like that, because longer term, that's exactly how you have to think about this business, because that's where all the value is. Okay, maybe uh, you'll have a different view for the next company, which is Block. This is for Kez. Uh, we'll start with you, Luke. Um, would you be buying Block at any price, considering the amount of competition in the payment space? That being said, 
payments are changing. I mean, there is room for innovation. There are room for new players. Yeah, yeah. These guys are pretty well established. I mean, yeah. Square and the Cash App, they're, they're, they're huge, um, huge products, particularly over in the US. Um, and so when you have that dominant position, it then becomes easier to bolt on these additional products. So the purchase of Afterpay, obviously a large purchase in the context of, you know, Afterpay was an ASX20 company um, here, but for, for Square at the time they purchased it, it was a, it was a bolt-on acquisition. Um, the price has come off pretty sharply, but even still, I opened up their last quarterly report. These guys are, are burning a lot of cash, ironically. Um, and I actually look at that purchase of Afterpay, and it's a bit of a red flag for me. I, I get the strategic rationale. Like I said, you're pairing the Afterpay, you know, buy now, pay later with a point of sale software and their personal finance app. But the price, you know, it, it was probably the, 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 the top indicator of that mania we had yeah. in 2021. So. I, I think it's a tough environment for these guys. They've got the, the focus on the consumer. Look, I'll, I'll probably hold it if you're there, but otherwise I think you really sit back and you can you can just let this one, you know, see how things progress for a little bit. Okay, what about you, Claude? Uh, let's get a buy, hold, sell for you on block. We're only on number two right now. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll say hold, because if, you're, if you even own block, you're so far departed from how I invest that I wouldn't want to tell somebody to sell it because I don't even know how you could even own it in the first place. Um, I love that Luke calls the acquisition of Afterpay a red flag. I mean, I totally agree. I actually prefer the block business to the Afterpay business, but I think both were a symptom of like absolute mania and insanity in share prices. And there's no, I'm not going to get an advantage over other people in estimating things other than to basically say, I reckon they'll make less money than people think um, just because they're part of this growth at any price mania. Um, if you have another bullish, low interest rates falling kind of environment where you have a stock price mania, then these kind of hype stocks are the ones that tend to do well. But now we're just going to, I think there'll be a long period where that's not true. Um, I've got no interest in it. And um, I think payments is a super dangerous business that I'm basically sworn off at this point. Would you sell it if you had it, Claude? I, I feel like somebody who owns it, owns it for different reasons from how I invest. I mean, if somebody gave me some block shares and was like, I'll just sell them straight away and not even think about <laughs> it. But I, I feel like if somebody actually owned block shares, they would have, they must have a completely different style of investing from me. Okay, got it. Um, all right, let's go into Acro Framework. This is for Jimmy. He's saying, can I please hear Claude or Luke's thoughts on this one? So Claude, let's start with you. Yeah, cool. This was actually my favorite of all the ones that I don't own and I don't particularly like it. And it's not my style of investing, but I thought it was a really great suggestion and an interesting um, business. So thanks a lot for that, Jimmy. Uh, look, the conference call of these guys was absolutely bubbling with optimism. I think the CEO described it as a watershed year. It was all organic growth. Um, you know, he sort of, without officially, for, like they're, they're basically saying, you know, they're going to grow they're growing really well organically now what these guys do is they do a bunch of construction stuff they're originally more a scaffolding business they um have essentially you know done quite well um in the last year massively increasing their profits and some of that can be to do with you know replacing cladding on buildings and stuff but mm -hmm. i think that they're also making a lot of investments in into the business and that's where i thought the catch was like they, there's a lot of positivity around their earnings per share and that kind of stuff but ultimately the cash isn't there right so did net um cash inflow from operating activities of 11.3 11.4 million but then just in the purchase of property plan and equipment alone that's 22 million gone so um you know yeah they sold 7.5 million worth but it's it's still the the net expenditure on property plan and equipment is more than their cash flow that they brought in now Hypothetically, that makes your accounting profit very real because you've now got scaffolding or a specialized machine used for clearing, cleaning a type of industrial furnace. Um, I'm not joking. And, and these assets are supposed to earn great returns for many years to come. And if those estimates that management are making about the returns they'll make on those assets are correct, then they're setting themselves up for genuine um, free cash flow positive growth. But at the moment, it's paper profits and cash outflow and still paying a dividend, not a not particularly large dividend, but um, yeah, look, so an interesting one, definitely not my style. So I'm more of a um, 
I become investing in the GFC, I learn a more style of capital light in investing because capital intensive businesses need a lot of money to grow. And so they can't grow very easily when there's uh, a bit of a tough situation economically. And these guys are absolutely in that situation. Uh, they're going to need to raise capital or get debt if they want to keep growing in a capital intensive way. Now, they say capital expenditure will go down a little bit as a percentage of a bit or, or revenue from memory. So maybe they're going to see that cash flow. But that's just the risk. I'm highlighting the risk. Otherwise, if you think all of these earnings are as good as gold, you know, Acro looks quite good good to me um but it's just not my style i'm a free cash flow focused capital light style investor uh but one to watch as if that free cash flow does start coming people like me would would definitely be um interested in the stock and if you're already holding when when the free cash flow brigade come in there you'll probably do quite well because all of that new money would push the stock mm -hmm. price up okay i saw you nodding through some of that luke yeah, most of that because it's exactly how I feel. Um, it's not my style of business, but I can I can definitely see the appeal. It is it is undoubtedly cheap on on, on reported earnings, as Claude says. Um, I, I see the exact same thing he was talking about. The business is being invested into very very heavily. Now, the problem I have is I just don't feel I have a great. Um, you know, circle of competence for, for judging where we are in cycles and, and um, you know, the earnings and the trajectory these sort of businesses will have into the future. If they're very tied to that construction cycle, if that cycle does have another two or three years of legs in it, these guys will do exceptionally well because as Claude said, they've invested so heavily in CapEx, they'll ride that wave, it'll crest and, and you'll see some really strong earnings and cash flow come through because you do that, that capital investment up front. Um, I just don't have the confidence in that though, Nadine. So for me, I'm, I'm always happy. Like I've looked at this business a few times. Every time I've looked, I thought it's cheap. It looks interesting, but I just stick to what I know. And so I let this one go through to the keeper. But if you're someone who's willing to take on a bit more cyclical risk, this is exactly the sort of business you should be looking for because um, good management team, they, you know, they've done, said and done the right things. Um, and you know, you're sort of backing them to, to um, Execute. To, to, to execute, yeah, exactly. I don't know the cyclical nature of their industry, but they, they yeah. will, and so you're backing them. Got it. Thank you. Let's go to DGL Group, DGL Group for Robert. Um, what do you have to say, Claude? Well, um, I think that this is a really interesting sort of teachable moment in terms of how you invest. Uh, I actually used to own DGL Group, and there's an old article I wrote about like three reasons I like it that essentially said, um, you know, basically there are shortages in some of the things these guys are uh, supplying and there's high insider ownership. And so I think that, you know, there's, it's in an upgrade cycle, which it was. And they were giving out nice uh, upgrades to their EBITDA and I think revenue forecasts and there was director buying. It was a good, um, you know, short-term sentiment. And then what it came out was that basically a, a few things were going on, uh, but most of all, what pushed me over the edge, and which is why I sold, and I wrote an article about why I was selling my remaining shares, is because the CEO uh, went on radio and, and, and said um, went about a woman, uh, you know, when you've got a little bit of Eurasian fluff in the middle of your prospectus, blah, blah, blah. Totally inappropriate behavior, absolute red flag. I just think it's so funny um, that all of these fund managers have all got basically exactly the same spreadsheet, all the same numbers that basis based on management forecasts. All of this reliance on this guy, and he's out there saying stuff like that publicly about women. So imagine, you know, well, okay, that's publicly, you know, that's what the emphasis I'm putting there. And um, obviously, for me, that sort of stuff's a red flag. I'm a qualitative investor. I'm looking at the quality of management. I want to invest with the management teams I trust the most. And I don't want to be taking unnecessary risk on a company that's making heaps of acquisitions. Look, there's an article I wrote about it. I, you know, I think it's always interesting to, you know, read about there are any like fines that have happened from any regulators and that kind of thing are also interesting to read about. Uh, basically, too much risk for me. Get out of there. And of course, now you see these results. I'm sure um, Luke can tell us about them. But essentially, the, the long, the short, the short version of it is that the, the cash flow was really unimpressive and, and it sort of spooked the market. And now I think you have a lot of people that probably were already thinking of selling previously and now this has just given them excuse to sell and for some reason it's not enough for them the the quality of factors are often not enough it's a real thing right 
these companies, they have these models, they need the numbers to tell themselves because they've got a valuation and unless they can change their number somewhere and, and lower the valuation, they it's as if they're like stuck and they can't actually just act on such a thing. So here we are, big fit. I've just a rush to the exit there. It's quite funny, no reaction and then and then a big rush to the exit. And, and that's where you are with DGL. Look, it's just, I'm not saying it's uh, overvalued or undervalued now. It's just out of my investable universe. Would you run run the other way, Luke, as uh, Claude certainly is? Um, if you're already there, I think, yeah, I think probably, actually, it's it's probably better just to exit and sit on the sidelines for a bit. Definitely, if you don't own it, you don't have to jump in, you know, let, let some water go under the bridge. Um, Claude stole my notes because I, I wrote the exact same thing. This was a average report, but it felt like a register that was looking for any excuse to get out. Like, you know, to take that report and be down 30-something, 40%, um, those two things didn't add up. So this was one where um, clearly, I think it was people were spooked by the stuff Claude was talking about. You get that first sign of weakness, just exit. You saw a similar thing with City Chic as well. So, you know, a bit to Claude's point about a, a lesson for investing, always understand the register of the companies you're in. If it's a tight register and you've got a few funds there, you know, it only takes one or two of them to pull the pull the exit and, and stock prices can absolutely collapse. So, um, look, you know, issues with cash and inventory. It, look, it, it, it was average, but it wasn't horrendous and it wasn't like, there were tons of other businesses that had similar problems, so I don't, you know, I don't necessarily say this is a terminal problem for this business. Um, guidance looked a bit weak as well, but again, you know, to be down 40%. So I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and probably takes a little bit of time for it all to wash out. So I probably sell if you're there, and if you're not, definitely just sit and, and watch this one for a little bit. Got uh, a view on that one, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> okay, let's go to Hello World Travel. This is for Richard. I've got to be honest, I haven't been actually, uh, you know, following the share price moves for this one. Um, obviously, it's gone through a lot uh, through COVID. Maybe I'll start with you on this one, Luke. Hello World Travel. This is for Richard. Hi, Richard. Hope you're listening. Yeah, look, like you, I hadn't looked at this one in a while. Yeah. So I came to it and saw they'd sold their corporate segment to yeah. corporate travel, um, paid off all the debt. So the balance sheet looks really healthy as, as we're getting this travel recovery. Um, management came out and actually gave some firm FY23 EBITDA guidance. Uh -huh. Admittedly, they put a nice big range there, I think, just to sort of we see how the recovery, if it's patchy or, or stronger than what people think. Um, you know, that sort of range puts them on 13 to 15 times, which is pretty reasonable. Um, and like I said, there's no debt there. Um, there's a working capital mismatch. Always keep that in mind because they get paid up front. So, you know, um, sometimes the reported profits can look a bit better than the cash. Um, but overall, look, I actually thought, because I've had Webjet and Flight Center come up in, in recent weeks, I actually thought this one was probably more interesting than those two. Um, certainly mm -hmm. from a valuation okay. point of view, much more reasonable. Um, I haven't done enough work, because I know they've got government contracts yes. and, and things like that, so I'd probably have to do a bit more work into that side of the business to get a feel for what's what's going on. Um, but just on the you know half hour, 45 minute look I had yesterday, I thought it was pretty interesting. So I think if you're someone who wants that exposure to the recovery, mm -hmm. travel recovery theme, put this one on your list to, to have a look at alongside the, the flight center and the, and the web jets. Yeah. And definitely um, hold it if you're there. Like, you know, I didn't see any, any big red flags. Okay, got it. What do you think, Claude? Hello world travel. Yes, yeah, so don't quote me on this, I'm going off the top of my head, but from memory, this is actually on around seven to eight times um, enterprise value to a bidder. And that is just way cheaper than a lot of, I guess, comparable businesses um, in Australia. However, um, overseas, I've seen some other like reasonably cheap travel companies. And so I'm not quite sure that you should anchor to the higher prices you might see for Webjet, for example, which doesn't make a lot of sense for me. We've talked about that in the past. And I think, given i don't want to just repeat what what luke said which i sort of largely agree with and i do think it, it's i guess one of the cheaper ones if you wanted a cheaper if you wanted a cheaper travel exposure this might be actually the, the way to go mm. however i don't really want that i'm more of a tailwind investor so i'm trying to invest in companies that are benefiting from some long-term increasing in demand uh, which just creates a more favorable playpen for them to exist in essentially and I actually see there's a societal shift going on at the moment for so many different reasons. But one of the things I think we're going to see less of is plane travel. It's quite expensive on a fuel basis. That's all going up. We have geopolitical problems that mean that we have supply constraints in terms of fuel. 
Um, it's, it's super wasteful from an environmental point of view. Um, a lot of government travel as well was where um, Hello World really built, or one of its subsidiaries, I think it was actually really built up its um, reputation and a lot of its revenues. And I just think that we desperately need politicians, for example, that come in and slash that kind of budget super aggressively. Don't know if we'll see it, but wouldn't be surprised to either. Of course, we've got the pandemic change things how it happened. We have more remote now. Overall, that's not the kind of headwind that I that I want to invest in. That's a no from Claude and a steer clear. Yeah, plane travel is super, super expensive right now, at least to go overseas. I know just from personal experience. Problem when you live on an island though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I know, I question some of my decisions in life. Anywho, enough about me. Uh, let's talk about Pew Profile for, actually, we're at the halfway, halfway. mark. What am I talking about? Let's uh, review what we've learned so far. Just take a bit of a break and dusk. Look, both of my guests were impressed by the results that came through today. Yes, there is still uncertainty out there, but it is one for the watch list. Claude's just waiting for a bit more pain in that sector to come through, but I think Luke sounded pretty impressed. Mm. Audinate, look, it's a watch list for both of my guests. They recognize that the share price has fallen. They, I would imagine, believe that you could probably get it cheaper. I mean, that's what you guys are essentially saying, although Luke is more interested in thinking if you're a long-term holder that you can start buying little pieces, start averaging in on down days because there likely is some more pain to come for the tech space. But... um, yeah, yeah I agree with Luke on that one. I yeah. think it's the same thing for me. I mean, I have paid around current prices before, but it's more just trying to get a little bit because I can never get it really cheaply or it's hard to get it cheaply. And I only have a small holding. Yeah, okay, got it. Um, but they both like the company. Uh, look, it's a hold for Block if you're in it. Claude says, if you're in it, you're probably there for a reason. He would never he would never hold it himself. It's a hold for Luke as well. Acro Framework, both of them like this one. They think it's really interesting. Claude's watching the free cash flow before he would get into it. So it's a watch, but if you're in it, hold it. Not Luke's style, but he says, look, it, it looks really interesting. So if that is your you know, your, your, your area of expertise. And I think he's pretty comfortable with that one as well. DGL, it's a sell from both of my guests. We don't have to go into why, but it's a firm sell. Uh, Hello World is a sell for Claude, as you just heard, but it's a hold. If you're in it, it's a watchless one for Luke because, you know, he does think it looks pretty interesting as compared to some of the other travel names. Luke's still doing a lot of his homework post-reporting season as well. <laughs> I think all of our guests for the next couple of weeks are. All right, let's get to, um, yeah, the portfolio. Uh, don't forget we've got a new investment committee episode coming out next week, in fact, osbiz.com.au, and uh, let's get the portfolio update. Audinate was removed heading into August. Oz Minerals was added up to the Woodside ha- um, size, and this is how the portfolio is looking. So actually up 2%, close to it, on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. Keep sending in your requests, keep us tuned in, and we will put the two buys from this program to the committee. But yeah, Tuesday, I believe, is when that new episode drops. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Coming up in the next half hour, don't go anywhere because we've got Pure Profile. For Jack, we've got DW8. Uh, My name's fallen off the list for that one. Money Me, and we've got Waypoint and Global Traffic Network, GTN for Bill. So I'm really pleased. Hope you're watching or listening, however you choose to consume this amazing program. Let's get right to it. Pure Profile, PPL for Jack. Luke. Um, yeah, so disclosure, I own it with Meriwether Capital. Um, the report was fine. They report quarterly, so there were no surprises in there. Um, I think the uh, focus from the market was on the outlook for FY23 um, and probably a little bit of disappointment that they've guided for their margins to remain flat next year despite some, some strong revenue growth. Um, I think also as well, these guys are very much tied to the um, advertising industry. so. You talk about question marks around business and consumers and, and some weakness there. It's you know a very discretionary sector that can come off pretty sharply if, if we do enter some um, some turbulent times. Um, 
They actually have some longer term tailwinds though because um, these guys build up personal profiles of consumers to then you know um, sort of get their get their data and their preferences, sell that to, to companies. And so with the large tech guys um, having their push towards privacy, services like this become more important that have that sort of direct um, that direct link to the consumer. So look, I like the outlook for the business. They're growing very strongly, which is the reason for the flat margins. Um, Jack, who wrote the question in, I'm just holding it from everywhere with the capital. So if you own it, hold it. If you're looking at it on the sidelines, you can probably just sit back and wait to see what the next quarter or two looks like, because they've sort of called out that investment phase. And I know micro caps, you know, whenever micro caps call out an investment phase, it's pretty hard for the share price to really do well because you, you see that impact to the mm -hmm. bottom line where the market wants to focus. So if you're there, hold it. If you're not, sit on the sidelines, keep an eye on it. It's a good business, like it's a good management team. Um, like I said, some longer term tailwinds with them, possibly some shorter term headwinds, but um, you know, they're, they're calling out a, a nice long trajectory for the business into the future. Claude, um, Luke obviously owns it. Uh, would you agree with his, his thesis there? I don't agree with Luke on this one. I think that it's, his thesis is reasonable and I used to hold shares in Pure Profile myself. I have a few things that make me uncomfortable with the business. For example, they tend to emphasize a bit uh, excluding um, payments to management they've done in the past, which is share-based payments, of course. And a lot of companies do that. It just, to me, it's a real expense. You see the um, the actual, it went, despite increasing revenue, um, well, actually, forget that. Although there was strong, good revenue growth, there was n no profitability in the business. It still loses money. It, it's um, Cash flow situation's not bad since it uh, gets paid ahead of um, time often. So it's a receipts were actually higher than its revenue. And um, it does have some cash, although it also does have a, a little bit of debt that detracts from that there. I'm basically thinking that this is not in my um, investment universe at the moment. I, there was a strong reason to own it previously, which was on a little bit of an upgrade cycle. That seems to have petered out. I think we touched on some of like the macro view that I have. I'm not not that I like let macro decide what I own. It's just I don't think that the macro view will be that great for pure pure profile in the next couple of years anyway. So I'm waiting for this one to be profitable. If it was profitable, making a net profit after tax, I would be interested in owning it for the exact reason that um, Luke said in terms of they're building potentially valued valuable database over the years, which also becomes a moat. However, for me, it's a little bit too early. And unless I thought that it was really in some great cycle of exceeding expectations, it's just too early for me, too risky for me. But any, I mean, I will give you right of rebuttal. Oh, no, I, I, I agree with that. Like, like I said, um, Claude's spot on. They had, a, they had a period there where they were sort of beating the market expectations. Yeah. And that sort of turned a bit with, with the, the, the increase in investment. And, um, you know, Claude and I, we both know microcaps so well. It's difficult for share prices to do well when, when you're going through that sort of phase. Um, you know, I can, I can hold these things as long as that, that sort of future is still there. But um, yeah, I certainly get that point of view where you can, you can sit on the sidelines and, and wait for this one and, and wait for that leverage to come through to the bottom line. Got it, thank you. All right, let's get to DW8. Um, our viewer, I just think I copy and pasted wrong. I don't know what the name uh, is. Carlo. Carlo, Carlo. He said he bought DW8 a few years back at 18 cents. Is it the worst investment <laughs> ever? Do any of the experts know anything about the company and hold any prospects for future growth? Oh, Carlo, I hope that you're not suffering. Let's uh, get a view from Claude on this one. Hi, Carlo. Yeah, so just I'll preface this by saying that the first stock that I ever bought um, went up like, I think, 5x. And I was like a genius. And then it eventually went bankrupt. Um, and <laughs> if this was one of the first stocks you bought, we're not that different. Um, I think that this was an extremely popular company on like maybe Reddit and Facebook and that kind of thing. Not not the best place to get uh, information about investing, in my opinion. Um, and it used to be called, I think, Digital Wine Ventures, which is why you did a double take over the name Nadine. Um, yeah. Changed its name. Uh, look, it's in the pro in in the business of I think mostly B two B wine distribution. I there was nothing about it that I've ever seen that uh, made me think that it was necessarily an investment prospect or um, something that I want to own shares in or be associated with in any way. Um, definitely straight in the bin for this one for me personally, just wouldn't even, just even all the red flag hype on Reddit. I'm pretty sure there's a guy, 
I may be wrong, but I think there was a guy on Reddit that was like drinking wine every two weeks or whatever until the um, the share price of this stock reached a certain milestone or something like that. All sorts of silliness. Great entertainment, terrible terrible basis for investment decisions in my opinion had that huge spike sort of post 2021 i guess on the uh, you know the whole tech the story it was the hype story it was the you know we're in lockdowns people yeah, are drinking a go. lot like all that kind of stuff that's the chart that's the chart yeah, painful yeah. though for those who who bought in so yeah. would you just cut your losses and and run away luke Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think this business is, is long for, for life. You take one look at the balance sheet. Um, they're doing a raise right now, which, you know, I guess credit to management, they've managed to get it away. But they burnt 15 million cash last year, had 3 mil in the bank. They're raising 9 mil, which wait and see whether they get all that. But um, uh, Claude's right. This was a, a specky stock last year. There's plenty of charts that look like that, you know, where we just had that mania of, I guess, retail investors or people new to the markets and very much narrative driven. Um, Carlo, I share the exact same story as Claude. My first investment was a specky miner that went to zero. So, you know, it's what you do past DW8 that will define you as an investor, not not this one by itself. But um, Look, there's, there's lessons to be taken from it. It's very much narrative driven, but you take one look at the numbers and the narrative falls apart. Like they talk about being a software marketplace business, but they do 26% gross margins and there's huge lease liabilities on the balance sheet. So my best guess is they've got warehouses all around the country. And it's actually a very capital intensive distributor more than a capital light software business, which is what they try to portray. So I'd, I'd exit it and, and move on. I, I think from a balance sheet point of view, it's difficult to see how this business survives over the next year or two. Mm, that Maybe is even shorter, not, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. Not good at all. All right, um, let's get to the next on the list, Money Me. So Money Me was out this week with its results, also talking about a $20 million placement. Um, it's a lender. Uh, it is, some say, you know, lending to, you know, those borrowers that other lenders won't touch. What's your view? I'd be careful with Money Me right now. Like that that raise the other day um, at at fifty cents, which um, you know from where the share price has been last year, even to where it was prior to the raise, um, that's not the raise of a of a healthy business. Um, and when they released their reports, I think you could see why the balance sheet had had some movements to the point where because they'd written down some of the value of their loans, their, their debt balance was higher than their receivables balance from customers. And they were actually in negative equity. So they, you know, they needed this cash um, as much as I think management wanted to portray the strength of the business and that cash being used to grow the loan book. I think it was more an equity injection to, to really plug a hole in the balance sheet. Um, even despite that, I think they're still under provisioning. Um, they actually lowered their provisions on some of their, you know, more more questionable loans. Um, and in the environment we're entering into, I, I think it's difficult for any lender to sort of argue that that's a rational thing to do. Um, so look, I'd, I'd exit this business business if I was in it. Um, if you're someone who wants to own it, the advice I would give is you've really got to dig into the into the report with yeah. these ones into the notes um, don't just look at the presentation management gives you and make a decision based on that because you know i could rattle off six or seven of these small business consumer lenders over the years who have you know blown up essentially um, and they all look good until they don't now you know money me may survive but there's there's i've got question marks around it and i think management have some work cut out over the next probably six twelve months so the question is, Claude, is management up to it? It posted a big uplift in gross revenue. It has bought Society One. I mean, or is management sort of cherry picking the metrics that they want to put forth to the market rather than, you know, looking at the big picture? Oh, <laughs> uh, you're throwing me in the hot water there uh, uh, with that lead. Look, I, without wanting to comment uh, too much on like on management and their presentation of results, that this is this is not against them. Look, I personally have, I guess, a cynical take on all of these kinds of businesses. So not about this specific management, but just generally, I think that um, any business like this that doesn't pay a dividend is not worthy of my time nor consideration in any way, shape or form. I think one of the same fund managers that once invested in a sort of lending company like this called Access Today is also own in money me that some people seem to like this kind of business i'm the exact opposite of that person um because this is just 
the classic thing that happens to these kind of businesses is they blow up all of these uh, non-bank lending, risky lending kind of things. They always are inclined to blow up just when the economy is at its worst. And that makes perfect sense, right? If you're taking more risk on your borrowing, the chances that you don't get paid up, paid back, go, go up when there's um, you know high inflation or, or any kind of um, recession or anything like that. So they're pro-cyclical in the sense that they're most likely to be at their lowest, right? When you yourself personally in your life would like to have yeah. cash the most just so that you could take advantage of the opportunities on offer in those harder times. So zero interest in this kind of business. I do occasionally invest in debt businesses, but they need to be paying me a regular dividend. Okay. I really have zero patience on the time between, like, on waiting for my money. Like, I need my money right now yeah. because these businesses are risky. Okay, so that is a sell. Let's get into number nine, Waypoint REIT. It also reported a safe set of hands for investing your money. Um, there was, I believe as well, an announcement on a buyback. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. way safer than money me. Like, I'll take take this one any day of the week. It's it's definitely not my style of investing, it being, being a um, real estate investment trust. But, uh, yeah, look, these guys own um, a lot of the service stations that, that we probably use. They're an integral part of our society. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think that there's any real risk to them. Obviously, there are changes that are going to impact our transport system, but I feel like, there's going to be an ongoing need for pit stops, no matter what kind of technology we're using over the years. Um, and also with population growth, it's infra it's core infrastructure, right? You know, s stops around the place where you can get fuel or charge your car or, or whatever it is. Look, long long term, perhaps um, nothing, nothing really excites me about it either. And um, I think that the, the people asking about this are probably very different investors from me so i don't know if i can offer the best advice on this kind of stuff so i'd just go with withhold mm -hmm. um i have no real view on it myself but yeah look it's a, it's one of the safest stocks and i think that what you want to keep in mind is if the reason for owning this is because of the dividend yield i think a bit just a touch touch over six percent yeah. well as interest rates on term deposits go up then perhaps maybe you're better maybe you know you're better off on a risk reward basis you have to consider your own situation there but you're basically taking on a little bit more risk for a little bit more return is the way i'd see it okay got it thank you buy hold sell for waypoint reit luke i'd hold it as well i mean claude claude spot on um you know balance sheet looks fine decent yield the buyback makes a lot of sense because i don't think there's a lot of organic growth in this business you know it's a pretty stable network of um, service stations around the country mm -hmm. um you know my, my same caveat i've had every time a reit comes up nadine which is ignore the the discount to nta because that's the market pricing in um the the compression of capitalization mm -hmm. capitalization rates that even these guys you know compress their cap rates by 10 basis points despite yields you know going up 200 so that's the the market then takes that into its own hands with the discount to nta but if you can if you want a six percent yield definitely hold it got it thank you global traffic network this is for bill gtn is the ticker code so this is broadcast media so it's you know it's your traffic reports and all of that kind of stuff correct um is there a reason to own this company it is um you know broadcast media platform it's got some global reach it's in the uk it's in mm. canada it's kind of kind of cornered the market and what it does yeah, this is Vic LaRusso up yeah. in the up in the sky with the helicopter. Um, it's an interesting business. I've I looked at it years ago, um, and I have, probably haven't come back to it post COVID. So, looking at it the other day, as Claude pointed out, Acro Formwork I thought was an interesting suggestion. This is another interesting one, Bill. Um, Ninety-four mil market cap. There's a bit of debt, but it's offset by cash. Um, the thing to understand with this business is the cost base is very fixed. It you know there's a there's a fixed cost of putting a helicopter up in the air, mm -hmm. doing your traffic report, and then selling that to radio stations. So the key leverage in this business is when they do those traffic reports, how many ads can they sell at the back end of that report, you know, a little 15, 20 second ad, and then the money they can charge for those ads. That's been very depressed since COVID, obviously with, you know, less traffic out on the roads, but as we start to normalize, you'll see that pick up. Um, so looking at their FY22, which they just had, about 12 times earnings. Um, uh, that's stripping out some, some amortization, which I'm happy to do because that was you know, related to sort of acquisitions of customers. 
Um, so that's a pretty good price. And like I said, that operating leverage can really kick in quickly. So this is a business that can do, you know, maybe high single digit revenue growth, but strong double digit profit growth because that fixed cost base, that there's really no variable cost to go on top. It just all, it all drops down. So. Um, it's one I put on my watch list after looking at it, Bill. Um, I probably have to do a bit more work. I saw something about getting into drone light shows. That I scratched my head when I read that. I'm not sh- exactly sure because I, okay. I think they've yeah, got a good little core business. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but definitely I put this one on my list. So I, hold it if you're there. I saw no red flags. The valuation looks interesting, and I think a bit like Hello World before, if you're looking for a bit more of a um, you know, uh, leverage to that travel COVID yep. recovery. This is a bit more of a creative way to go about it, um, more than your direct sort of flight center or webjet. So okay. hold for me and put it on my list. Claude, what do you think? Would you consider GTN at, uh, you know, now or in the future? Is it on your watch list? It's, it's not on my watch list, although I was in a similar situation to Luke having looked at it years ago. Look, I think I agree with everything Luke said, and I'm actually appreciative of the deep dive there. Uh, look, it basically comes down to my view that I prefer to invest in companies that have sort of locked in recurring revenue. So I own a lot of uh, software, business to business software kind of companies. And this one has a little bit too much of that risk where if, you know, whatever happens in the next year, there's war or there's um, gas prices high or there's a freak out. And when you have those situations, advertising tends to get switched off quite quickly and you have these these little scares, these little bumps. That's the time that actually, ironically, this particular business, I think would be an interesting buy because if there's a little scare like that, um, I think that it's quite likely that this business model actually sustains. It's a clever little business model that works. I think that it'll continue to work, Um, but I'd need, it's an illiquid stock. There's no reason why if I hold it now, the dividend yield's not big enough for me to be winning just by holding on. So. For me, it's not that attractive right now. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right, guys, thank you for all of that. Let's go back to number six on the list, which was Pure Profile. Differing opinions here. Luke holds it in his fund. He's going to continue to hold it, but he understands why you wouldn't want to get into it right now. And that's what Claude's thinking as well. He just um, doesn't see it really having a moat. DW8, both agree it's a sell. Yes, it's illiquid. Yes, it has come down a long way from the highs that were... uh, too exuberant back in 2021. Um, but yeah, we were answering a question for our viewer. Money Me for Martin, uh, both would avoid it. Uh, Claude says it's got blow up potential written all over it. Uh, Luke agrees, he says, be careful. And he said the uh, raise was not the raise of a healthy company. So that's a sell for both of my guests. Waypoint, hold for both. It's not their style of investing. They understand why somebody would be in it. For, um, for you know the defensive qualities, for the yield, but it's not gonna get them very excited. And Global Traffic Network, Claude would buy uh, on a, any sort of a pullback because of geopolitics or big concerns about the ad market. Um, so even though Claude is uh, very much a bottom-up stock picker, look, he, he does obviously, like everyone, take into consideration some of the macro environment. And um, yeah, Luke says there was no red flags. If you mm. have it, hold it. And he's got it on his watch list now. So I think our guests have learned a little bit or were forced to learn a little bit because of those companies that you suggested to us. So I'll say goodbye to you first, Claude, because uh, I'm looking down the barrel of the ca- camera. I hope you make it to the beach again soon. The pictures look lovely. And uh, Luke, thanks for coming down and seeing us today. And I hope you have a great weekend with the fam. Yeah, I'll be back for the last call too. Oh, excellent. This day keeps getting better. All right. That is the show for the day. Flick us emails at thecallosbiz.com.au or tweet to us at osbiztv. And if you would like to see a company on the list, you can email us yourself. Okay. A reminder, if you'd like to check out that portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Stay with us.